0: You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.
1: Greetings, friends. Happy Tuesday, and welcome back to another episode of Fathoms. Abram here and Creek as well. Say hi, Creek. Hi. It's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That's exactly what I was expecting. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, today is an extra special day because we're interviewing the third wheel of this podcasting tricycle, (laughs) our beloved Drew. To be clear, Drew is not the third wheel in this relationship. No.
2: (laughs) Oh, we should explore that sometime. (laughs) We
1: should. We just,
0: should. We're, we're the two anyway. back wheels withdrawn, and he's like, Come on, guys, let's go over here. Let's there go over here. Go. Let's go over here. Let's go
2: over here. You know, on a tricycle, the pedals are on that front <laughs> wheel. I'm just it's, saying. It's very accurate. Oh, okay.
1: Anyway, anyway uh, why are we interviewing Drew? Uh, well, drum roll, please. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to edit in the appropriate sounds and killer voice over <laughs> okay. here. Uh, but Drew's brand new book. The Enneagram of Discernment has finally officially been released into the wild today.
0: And the crowd. Firework goes sounds. Wow.
1: It's about time. Hallelujah, <laughs> chorus. So, Drew, you've got a brand new book out today. How do you feel, man? Well,
2: I feel so many things. And it's. Really hard to describe them, mm. which is my default setting anyway. <laughs> hard
1: to describe my feelings. Maybe that's what this episode's that's about. Oh, let's episode. get into that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Man, I, you know, I feel relieved because those of you who, had, who have followed this book launch journey, it's been a bumpy road uh, and a very, very, very long runway to get this thing <laughs> off the ground. Mm. So I feel very relieved. But truly, I am grateful this has been about a two-year journey, so to see it come to fruition, it's amazing, and uh, I'm just excited to share it with the world.
0: That's amazing. I really am. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just go through all three centers. What do you? Uh, what What about your head, your heart, and your gut, and your body? Like, what is what's happening as it relates to this book? Yeah. So my,
2: uh, I'll, st- I'll start with the head. I guess that's maybe one of the easiest things for me to talk about. So. I think um, you know it's really easy on a book launch to think through all the different scenarios of how this could go really well, mm-hmm. and how this could go- just crash into a fiery ball. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it it's really hard uh, not to think through all the different tra- trajectories that a book can go because in many ways. A, uh, I've ri- written this thing, I've set it up to release into the wild, and then I have no idea where it's going to go from yeah. there. So, uh, <laughs> it's easy just to think through all the scenarios. Um, in my heart, uh, I, I feel, uh, it feels very v- emotional and visceral to be quite honest. Mm. So, hmm. uh, maybe another word would be raw. Um, And I think that, you know, there's a real vulnerability to kind of sending something out that you've worked for so long behind the scenes on and to send it out. um, What I hope is a gift to others and that it's, you know, anytime you extend yourself to others, it's a vulnerable Mm. act. And I'm feeling that right now, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. (laughs) You know, that's not a bad thing. It's just, it just feels raw. And then Mm. in my gut, um, I feel indigestion. No, I, I, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I do feel kind of the butterflies mm. Um, mm. where it kind of this nervous anticipation, this excitement, uh, feeling a little amped. Um, definitely got to make sure I'm taking time today to move my body, expend some energy, mm. Uh, and not just hit refresh on social media and Amazon over and over again. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Totally. Uh, Yeah. Totally. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things we wanted to get into is just a little bit of the backstory, actually. So first off, is this your first book, Drew? This is my first solo book project,
2: but I have been involved with three other books, either as an editor or Mm. a co-author. So this is my first kind of solo effort.
1: Yeah. yeah, and this is your first official Enneagram book too. Yeah, first Enneagram book. Yeah,
0: mm. I know you've mentioned several times in the ep- in these episodes uh, just about how when you want to learn about something, you write about it. So yeah. when, I guess when did that when did that first start? Um, has that always kind yeah. of been a thing, or did you discover that tool later on in your life?
2: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, with reflection, I can see that's always been a practice of mine. Although I wouldn't have been able to maybe state it uh, even as a child, I, I've always been kind of a, a forceful movement of a being. <laughs> so I'm always going, and uh, and you know, to be honest, school came pretty easily to me as as a kid, mm-hmm. and and wasn't a real challenge very often until I encountered something that I had never heard of before and didn't have a framework that I could kind of hang it to and just wing it. And so honestly, um, I learned one of my most formative kind of educational experiences is when I'd have to write something out in order to better understand it and sit at the kitchen table with my mother to edit it. Hmm. And, uh, so there's, there's a few lessons there that i've you know really instilled into adulthood and that is first to slow down and the simple act of writing something slows me down and uh i think aligns my my head and my heart and my body more so than i'm prone to mm-hmm. uh naturally uh but then it also uh i think it's easy for me as a dominant type 3 to just um write something down a first draft and just call it good Enough, okay, but returning to it to make it better is a real discipline for me, Mm, yeah. And and uh, because you can't, if you're going to put a book out there, you can't just wing it, you know, and (laughs) Uh, not advisable, um, no, no, certainly (laughs) not. It would be terrible, at least coming from me. I'm sure there are writers who can just, yeah, you know, stream of consciousness put something out there like that, but I can't, and so. There's a real struggle to the discipline of staying with the idea for me long enough to understand it, and it requires me writing it down, revisiting, revising, editing, that sort of
1: thing. Right, yeah. right. I'm um, I'm curious uh, because I was hoping part of this would be semi-roasting. Uh, did, did your <laughs> Boy, did your did your mother help you edit this as well? <laughs> no. Like the old days,
2: <laughs> she did not.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh.
2: Uh, well, although, that was a miss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I'm sure she'll buy half of the copies. They yeah. <laughs> so two. No, she did not help me edit this. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Anyway, no, re- more real question. The kind of a two-part question here. Um, I'm just curious about um, two things, how you actually came up with the idea and how you went about the writing process.
2: Uh, how the book came to be. Um, first, you know, all of my kind of career has been spent in the helping space working with people that uh, tend to wrestle with the big questions of life. And so in one of my previous book projects, I did a lot of work on vocation. So this idea of a sense of calling. And what I kept running into was this idea that wouldn't fit into that book project, but I was fairly obsessed with it. And that is you can't understand a sense of calling uh, unless you know who you are. Mm, yeah, and, and at the time, that was when I was really... Uh, getting into my deeper dive in the Enneagram and realizing that this resource um, that is the Enneagram has so much to offer with that um, that issue of self-knowledge and self-awareness. Yeah. And then, uh, so once I started playing around with that, I realized, okay, once we know who we are, then what do we do with that?
1: Hmm.
2: How does that change and impact the way in which we live and move in the world? And I realized that there's this whole realm of discernment, which everyone I think seems to know is important and seems to want, but we have trouble really describing it or defining it, Mm. you know, and, uh, I hadn't seen anything really connected with the Enneagram and this framework of discernment that I was playing around with. And so in order to learn more about it, like I was just talking about, I started writing things down and trying to get my thoughts together in some coherent fashion and then realize, Hey, there's a book here Mm. that I want to write. And this was a good check for me as a three, if nothing else, just for my own growth and development to write it. Even if I don't ever put it out there for others to read, I, I I need to write this book. And thankfully, uh, you know, I think the ideas are salient enough that it is (laughs) worth putting out there, you know, for others to benefit from. And so, um, that led to getting a book deal and, uh, here we are now it's out. So that's what, um, really led to it is, mm. is really drawing from a lot of my kind of past kind of research and areas of interest with my love and obsession with the Enneagram and putting that together and trying to work through that until there was, uh, I think really something there that can be helpful to other people as they figure out how to navigate life's many decisions. Yeah. That was the first part of the question. What was the second part? Oh, yeah. the writing process. Yeah. 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 So, uh, the writing process, and, and this was, and I think I, I maybe talked about this before in our teaser episode, but it was a super vulnerable act for me. Uh, one is, you know, first of all, I, I went about writing it with an advisory group of which you two were on that. Thank you guys for <laughs> suffering through those early drafts for me. So every time wow. I'd write a chapter <clears throat> and I would send it to this advisory group, um, which uh, I have to admit, was was really harder than it should have been <laughs> for me. Mm. Like, I should have. I I wish I had the maturity to just send it off and think, hey, I can handle whatever comes back. Mm. But it was it was a pretty scary thing to do that uh, because bet. it was it mm. was uh you know it was a, really a first draft yeah. and um it was kind of my ideas in process and. I knew I was going to get good and I chose the people on the advisory group because I knew they were going to give me honest feedback, which is sometimes hard for me to hear. Um, but it made the book so much better.
0: Maybe kind of a, a, perhaps a little bit of a vulnerable question, but what sort of, um, just maybe a peek inside of a, a three's mind that is uniquely drew, but what, yeah, what, what was that sort of anxiety and that fear? Like what, what were the stories that were playing in your head? The moziener sure. critic saying inside of you.
2: Well, you know there are a few things, um, a few messages that I was confronting and, and having to sit with. You know, the the first I think is is a message that plagues all dominant type threes, which is the imposter kind of syndrome message, mm-hmm. where we put on this good front and we present ourselves uh, polished and successful, but internally we're often asking. And are we even valuable or worthy enough to be here?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, and so doing that with a book, you know, where yeah. uh, and then mix that in with writing a book in the Enneagram space is, um, I know it seems like there's a, a million books uh, suddenly being kind of published on the Enneagram, but it's a contentious space to mm-hmm. write in. You know, there's a lot of uh, territories and turfs that are closely right. guarded Uh, people care deeply about where you got your ideas and content. And so as I was always trying to think through, you know, have I done the right research? You Mm -hmm. know, have I cited the right people correctly? Have I given credit where credit was due? And at the same time, have I actually done my own contribution to this Mm -hmm. conversation that, and I could easily get kind of in mental knots over that particular piece of it as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's that's really insightful, yeah. Drew. As you mentioned, there's there's a there's so much enneagram content and books and videos and so many things out there, right? So what, why, and we kind of addressed this a little bit in the teaser episode, but I wonder if any any new sort of things have emerged for you when it comes to why why is this book. Um, something that's not just the run of the mill regurgitation of enneagram information. Why is it something special that people will want to pick up?
2: Well, it's not. Uh, it's not your run of the mill enneagram book in that it is not simply a description of types, which um, it, which is really important. Like we need to understand, you know, the nine types. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are plenty of re- great resources out there and a lot more resources that are you know, brand new uh, on understanding the nine types. Uh, so it, it's designed, the book is really designed for those that have an understanding of the nine types or who quickly can come come to an understanding of the nine types uh, and then ask the question, what do I do with this knowledge?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I understand that I'm a type you know, fill in the blank. What impact should that have on my daily life specifically as it relates to the realm of decision-making? Uh, because the, the challenge of making a good decision plagues every human being. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, I did find it a bit, uh, interesting, you know, and confusing why the Enneagram has not been used in this realm as explicitly as I have Mm. in the book. Yeah. So um, beyond that, getting into some specifics, I really do a deep dive on the stances in a way that um, kind of contributes to this realm of discernment Mm -hmm. through uh, understanding some uh, intelligence center stacking and even time perspective stacking, which is kind of my unique contribution Uh, to the whole time perspective deal. Um, And then I also introduced this uh, way of discernment, which are nine questions that each type needs to ask Mm -hmm. when confronted with a challenging decision. It's not a formula, but I think it does provide enough of a comprehensive kind of look at a problem or a decision that one is facing. And if they honestly explore these nine questions, I'm you know, fairly convinced uh, they will encounter that decision with more wisdom. Yeah. Right.
1: Definitely want to get to those. Um, Drew, we'll have you unravel those for us here in a, in a short bit. But I just want to say to the folks listening, um, out of the 150 plus Enneagram books that I have at home, um, I have different piles of Enneagram books. These are my... Literal uh, piles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the one spot in the house that we have not unpacked un- uh, yet, there. <laughs> <laughs> or put in shelves or whatever. Anyway, uh, p- literal piles where you know these are. The, this is the pile of. Eh, eh, I don't think I'll ever really go back to that book. Uh, this is the pile that's like, you know, this is a great. This is a great starter. This is a great option, uh, and then I've got these are my favorite enneagram books, and there's not many. And honestly, I might be a little biased, but. To be truthful, I think the content in this book, the uniqueness of this book, is something truly in- inspiring and different. Um, and I, I would say it is in my more f- m- my favorite piles of my Enneagram books. So, well, I'm for honored, what it's worth, sir, yeah. to be in your
0: messy pile <laughs> yeah. of books.
1: That's great. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And and even oh, I mean, you. just kind of rereading some of the book before we did this interview is the introduction alone is just Mm -hmm. chocked full with so much wisdom and so much nuance and things that we really need to hear right now andrew i'd love i'd love if you could maybe speak to a little bit of um of about the introduction um especially as it relates to the examples that you give about identity and and actions that people have done and said this is not who i am and that sort of incongruence and as it relates to the incongruence of who I believe myself to be and the, the way in which I engage conflict, engage life, um, in a lot of yeah. different ways. Yeah. Could you speak on that a little bit? I think that's just, especially, sure. especially in this, in this political climate, something that's really necessary.
2: Yeah. So what I, what I do in the introduction is, uh, it's titled, this is who I am and it really, uh, explores well first it explores the insufficiency of a really bad apology <laughs> so if we uh and we, which we all can recall terrible apologies mm. that have just angered us right um and so i i offer some well-known kind of celebrity or very public apologies that were really poor. Most of them have this common phrasing to them that I'm guessing is from a PR firm, Mm. (laughs) Uh, which I get the PR spin on it, but I think it's also somewhat revolting to us, which is uh, this is not who I am. So when, when a, a celebrity or, you know, very public figure has to apologize for something pretty terrible, they'll often say, this is not who I am. Mm. And so what I do then is I talk about how we are kind of suffering from this identity crisis. And it's not just something that plagues celebrities or well-known politicians when they trip and fall on their face with the world watching that we are struggling with the actions that we, um, kind of, uh, Live out in the world and our understanding of who we truly are. And, um, you know, one of the quotes that really inspired this introduction is uh, poet David White says that we are the only creation that refuses to be ourselves.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
2: And so we're suffering from this problem of identity and personality and trying to make sense of the two. And I also find it interesting, too, that we live in this age in which we have all the information that we need in order to make good and wise decisions for ourselves. Um, but more information doesn't, doesn't necessarily make us any wiser. You right. know, I wouldn't say that the human race is any more wise than it was in previous centuries before the you know advent of the iPhone. Mm. Mm-hmm. It hasn't helped us yeah. Yeah. in some of the really critical ways of wisdom. Yeah. And so that's where I introduced this concept of the Enneagram of discernment, that there is a way in which we can apply the framework of the Enneagram uh, in the lens of discernment, um, which I call applied identity, very simply, that mm-hmm. we are discerning when we are uh, applying our identity as we live and move about in the world in our true and authentic sense. Yeah. And then kind of expound upon that concept from there and, and explain what it means to understand how our personality type helps and hinders our decision making.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that uh, description of discernment, applied identity. I think that's <laughs> brilliant. Um, and you, you really get into, I think it's page 25 because I have the book memorized. <laughs> um, all my favorite books. I'm in mean, Ingram books. I do. I have them memorized. <laughs> yeah. Uh so, this idea of discernment and this description of applied identity, it's pretty noticeable that you're making the point that, you know, if we don't, like you said earlier, if you don't know who we are, it's really difficult to make good decisions. So, I just wonder if you could name for us uh, some ideas of why you think it is that we don't know who we are.
2: Yeah. Mm. You know, that's a good question and, and pretty complicated. Um, so, in the book, I say you know, probably there are a lot of reasons why we have this kind of identity crisis. And therefore, make decisions either poorly or make, you know, keep, continue to fall into the same traps over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really outline three. You know, first, we, you know, we lie to ourselves too often. Either it's because we're convinced that we don't deserve what we really want mm-hmm. in life or we don't feel worthy of it or, you know, all sorts of lies that we um, kind of tell ourselves, which really ramps up our ego and personality. Uh, Secondly, we're often just overwhelmed. I think we live life at such a frenetic pace that we struggle to slow down and really think about the decisions that are truly important. And if we just react instead of respond, we won't make wise decisions. Mm -hmm. And then third, I also think too, and and all these are connected and overlapping, but we have neglected our capacity to really listen well Mm. and we don't listen to the right voices necessarily. And uh, we've struggled to listen well. You know, I think uh, one of the things that the digital and information age has really done detrimentally to us is it's really thwarted our ability to listen, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and and instead of letting our minds perhaps rest or wander or aligning kind of our whole beings in a moment of peace or boredom, we just wanna doom scroll <laughs> through <laughs> our social media. Right, right. yeah. Um, and, it, and I think we've lost the capacity to listen well in those moments of quiet and peace because yeah. um, we wanna fill them, I think. So I think, and we, I could go on and on, but there's plenty of reasons, but those yeah. three really loom the largest to me. Yeah. I love them. Yeah.
0: So Drew, you mentioned something about um, listening to the right voices and you used the word discernment in the title of your book. So I imagine it's a pretty important theme. Um, so how... Yeah. In, in can you spell the word spell- <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think i can now it's it's the, one of those s like entrepreneur c. or something that a restaurant <laughs> that i just continually struggle over <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true. the, the uh, s and the c in any word when they're right next to each other i just never know which one comes first it's yeah, yeah anyways I know. um so yeah in in light of that and what voices to listen to and how, how do you discern, like not only what voices to listen to, but when to listen to them and how to listen to them? Sure,
2: sure. Um, you know, I have plenty to say <laughs> yeah. about that. Well, I think it's interesting that the Latin root of discernment means to discriminate.
0: Mm. And oh.
2: normally we we place a negative association with that term and for you know very good reasons and and in many cases we should right Mm -hmm. Uh, discrimination of other people groups persons uh is obviously wrong uh but i i really think that in this sense discernment means to discriminate between that which is good and healthy and that's that which isn't Mm -hmm. and so if we think about uh each type's inner critic and I think that's important to mention it's not just something that plagues the Mm -hmm. one you know Mm -hmm. the type one but each type has its own inner critic I think that uh, by we have developed over a lifetime an ability to respond and try to appease our inner critic which ramps up our ego and keeps us in the default settings of our personality type Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. And and often that inner critic drowns out all sorts of other good voices, um, and you know depending on your spiritual or faith persuasion, you know it could be uh, the voice of God or the voice of love, or um, you know people have different terms or labels that they want to associate. That often I think can help us maybe uh, s- silence or at least put that inner critic in its proper place. So that'd be one. I also think as well that discernment is, uh, we often want to reduce it. And this is especially Mm. true with Enneagram work. We often want to reduce it to this isolated inner work. Yeah. When in fact, I think discernment is best done within the context of a good and healthy community. In which we bring Mm. kind of our interior work that we're doing to the exterior environment of a community that is trusting and so we need to be able to surround ourselves with people who I think know our hopes and fears very well, and and are w- willing to steward them carefully yeah. and with with love. And so those are voices I think that we need to pay attention to. And uh, I know that that seems obvious, but we are suffering even before you know we started navigating a global pandemic. We are suffering from a loneliness epidemic in which we are, we are just increasingly isolated and lonely. And I, am afraid that our discernment is waning because we don't have those voices that we can truly trust in our community to help us navigate the complexity of our lives. And I say, so I think those are voices that we need to pay attention to. Um, And then when we, those would be kind of fundamental, like core voices. And then that allows us then to discern or discriminate against what is, you know, a deep fake video on the internet, Mm. you know, versus something that's actually true. Right, yeah. Um, Or what is kind of ramping up our confirmation bias
1: Mm -hmm.
2: versus what is challenging our long-held assumptions about how things should be, right? And I think that we, so if if we can maybe not let the inner critic... Within us run wild, and if we can surround ourselves with people who we love and trust implicitly, then I think those are voices we should be listening yeah. to.
0: Could you could you almost say that discernment is more about the concentration of ideas versus the dilution?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of work on um, looking at. Uh, theologians and psychologists and mystics and on the who studied this term and wrote about it. And I think uh, one of the ways I like to think about it that has come from a lot of these readings is that discernment helps us see beneath and through mm. something. So it doesn't help. It doesn't help us bypass it. It doesn't help us just see the surface of it, but it helps us see beneath and through. And then the result of that is it helps us concentrate, like you said, our understanding of what our role is in this decision in such a way that we can see the interconnectedness of all things, which is how now Henry Nowen talks about it. Mm. Because we can start to see the implications and the ripple effects of the decisions that we make. Um, And so uh, concentration works. I also think too, a lot of our discernment now in an information saturated age is curation. Mm. So uh, there's plenty of good ideas out there there's also plenty of crap, right? <laughs> and, and, and we can find millions of, uh, you know, websites and social media posts to tell us to do all sorts of things. Mm, right. Yeah. And I think our real work is one of curation and curating the right stuff, the right resources, um, and the right Bits of knowledge and information in order to make a wise decision. That's that's great.
1: So, Drew, you you say that the Enneagram of discernment is a framework of becoming ourselves so we can discern with wisdom. Yeah. And you name sort of three different triads: uh, that of vocation, wisdom, and practice. And and you say that together these three triads of discernment provide nine key questions of discernment. I wonder if you could get into those now for us.
2: Yeah. Sure. So you've, you've both heard me say probably ad nauseum, that type is the trailhead, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That once we discover our type, that's simply the beginning of a journey. And so I draw upon that imagery to say it's simply the beginning of a journey of discerning our lives well. And that journey traverses three territories. And so in trying to keep with Enneagram uh, tradition, I think three territories, territories comprised of three questions, gives us nine questions total. See what I did there. Right. Mm. (laughs) Um, it it wasn't that I was necessarily trying to do that, but I do think it, it's a helpful way to frame since we're talking about the Enneagram. And so that first territory I call the vocation triad, which is really understanding a sense of calling that allows us to uh, begin to think, okay, how do I begin to apply this identity that I now have and own and begin to understand. And so those uh, three questions in the vocation triad are, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? Which I would say, or I would argue, are the questions of identity, purpose, and direction. Mm. So if we can understand our, a sense of identity, if we can understand a sense of purpose that maybe kind of transcends the trivialities of our day, and if we can understand a sense of direction, then that can help us begin to discern all these complex decisions we're facing more effectively. Mm-hmm. So that's the first triad. Mm-hmm. Then the second triad in this way of discernment, I call the wisdom triad. And here's where I really get into the three intelligence centers and the questions that they raise. And those three questions are, what am I doing? What am I feeling? And what am I thinking? So if we're encountering a decision and we, uh, remind ourselves of who we are, you know, we remind ourselves of, uh, a deep and abiding purpose that kind of guides our lives and we understand a sense of direction of where we're headed. And we can then begin to think, okay, what am I doing right now? What am I feeling? What am I thinking similar to what you did <laughs> you know, to me as you're asking, how am I, <laughs> how am I feeling? Yeah. How am I thinking and how am I, how's my body reacting to the book launch? I think that's a helpful intelligence for us as we seek to cultivate wisdom to make good decisions. Yeah, And then that third triad I call the practice triad. And this is where we start to then uh, apply this identity in real time, but in the fullness of time, which is the concept I really um, kind of explore deeply in the book. When we look at kind of this triadic perspective of time, the past, the present, and the future, we bring those three elements of time together to help us then uh, encounter three really important questions. First, what am I remembering? Second, what am I experiencing? And then third, what am I anticipating? Mm-hmm. So if we encounter those three questions and explore those and reflect upon them, we will, I think, tend to our past and bring uh, uh, the wisdom of the past to bear in whatever decision we're facing if we're honest with what we're experiencing in the present. And if we uh, think ahead a little bit to what we are anticipating, I think that can help us navigate whatever challenge or decision we're facing.
1: Hmm.
2: So those are the nine questions uh, divided up in those three triads. And then what I do in the book is I, you know, I go through those nine questions for each type in part two of the book. Because um, as you can probably imagine, uh, different types uh, tend to emphasize other questions over, mm. you know, certain ones, and struggle with certain questions. And that. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, I can't help but actually just visualize uh, a bill, one of those billboards that I've seen is that that just is flashing. Where are you going? <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'm. Uh, this is random, I know, but I'm just, I'm just wondering about uh, putting up in Upland, Indiana, all of all of these nine questions on a billboard each. As you're driving in. there you go. And how much <laughs> like more discerning, yeah, yeah? How much more discerning would the people that live there be? Seriously, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or, but also, just I think this this is a book that every kid who's becoming an adult needs to read, as we're really describing this. It just, yeah, good n- night. It's like, well, here's here's the rite of passage. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, well I, I do think there is an element too that. Yeah, it, it certainly can frame that. Like, what does it mean to start making decisions like an adult? <laughs> mm, yeah. But then, for those of us that have been adults for a while,
0: <laughs> I still don't know how to make decisions.
2: Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be reminded of the, those questions that we should be leaning into <laughs> that do make us a more mature and healthy
1: adult? Right. Yeah. Or here's how you turn into a real adult, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I think it's also important to, like, the, the where are you going, all those questions, it's important for anyone to realize that, hey, this, this isn't a one and done thing. You more than likely, even hourly, you could almost be shifting into right. like, what is the different why, the different motivation, yeah. the different thing that I'm trying to get or what I'm here to do. Um, and that's going to it's going to change from the weekend to the weekday, like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So using this as a consistent practice of of just checking in with yourself every so often, sure. Um, and and finding that way forward.
2: No, you're right, Creek. Uh, I think we often want to frame discernment as a way to get to a destination. Yeah. Right. Uh, when in fact it is a lifelong process. Yeah. And it's something that we have to continually practice and cultivate in order to make wise decisions that we can't anticipate are ahead of us. You know, it's really hard to do that, but um, it's so important to continue to live into the process of discerning.
1: So getting in a little bit deeper in the the first few chapters here, where some of my favorite meat of the, of the book is... Uh, you talk about vacation, and then specifically you get into the chapters on wisdom and yeah. practice, and you really get into your your unique voice on your unique stance on the stances <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sort of the repressed centers. And yeah. uh, you know if you've got a dominant uh, a, a support, and then um, what what your repressed center looks like, but you you reframe it, I, I think, and you kind of name. Uh, the wisdom of what is what is there, what is what we're capable of. I wonder if you could just talk about your your specific uh, unique take on on that.
2: So I think a lot of people in our audience would be familiar with, you know, the triads of the enneagram, kind of the, the gut triad, the heart triad, and the head triad, which are these groupings of uh, three types that are really organized by this common dominant center of intelligence. And then we also have this different try of grouping the stances or otherwise known as social styles or Hornavian groups, which are organized by the, the types uh, on the Enneagram framework that share the same kind of repressed or misused intelligence center. And I think by understanding that kind of framework within the stances and understanding which intelligence center of, of the three centers we tend to misuse or distort or repress, there's a lot of growth and development possibility mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. so specifically in in terms of wisdom I, you know I really try to frame that we cultivate wisdom when we uh, bring into healthy rhythm and alignment all three centers when we are accessing our heads our hearts and our guts and that they're working together I think that's where wisdom lies mm-hmm. so when we look at you know the stances of the Enneagram, I think then we can see where there's some work to do for each stance. So for three sevens and eights, those, uh, my fellow people who are in the assertive stance with me, we need to develop wise hearts, which, uh, because we have this repressed or distorted feeling center of intelligence. And so it's hard for us to really use our emotional intelligence effectively. And so I really recommend the assertive stance develops wise hearts and have practices for doing that in the book. For those in the dependent stance, these are the ones, the twos and the sixes, they really need to develop wise minds. So instead of uh, you know using their cognition for all sorts of other things, uh, they need to really em- employ it to what matters most. And uh, in, in so doing, they, they'll develop wise minds and I give practices for how to do that in the book also. And then uh, for you withdrawn types, fours fives and nines uh this is where i talk about developing wise bodies and learning what it means to put kind of yourself in an embodied presence in the world and use that energy and that activity for what matters most Uh, because uh fours fives and nines tend to repress that that gut that doing center of intelligence Mm -hmm. more so than some of the other types So I think by focusing more intently on this distorted or repressed center and cultivating these wise, you know, minds and hearts and bodies, I think then we can get out of some of our ruts in our type, our default settings, which in which we tend to, you know, maybe make some of the same poor decisions over and over again. Hmm. So for me as a three, really tending to my emotions in a decision, as opposed to dismissing them, is really important. So developing that wise heart is really critical for me.
0: Yeah, and there's so much th- there's so much more to talk about with with those, and maybe we'll have to do an episode on just uh, those yeah. stances and wise hearts, wise minds, wise bodies, um, and and what does that practically look like? And speaking of practice, you go into not only how uh, each each center can practice wisdom and, and tending to the things they need to tend to, but also maybe the propensity um, as it relates to time. And you have a really original take on time and something that you're trying to contribute to the Enneagram community. So if, yeah, could you just speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So I, I first encountered this idea of time perspectives uh, in a workshop with Suzanne Stabile And then found out that she got it from Enneagram authors and teachers, Hurley and Donson, in which, you know, Hurley and Donson introduced this idea that each stance has a preferred kind of time orientation. So for the assertive types, they tend to be really future focused. For the dependent types, they tend to be very present focused. And for the withdrawn types, they tend to be more past focused. Uh, but then that was it. That's all I could find. And then I start as I started thinking about it, I realized, hey, that there's more to this because if we use this similar framework of dominant, supporting, and repressed uh, as it relates to the three time kind of orientations or perspectives, I think we can uh, get a lot more uh, richness and depth of understanding out of time for each of these stances. So, the way that this works is if the assertive types are very future focused, they're supported by a present perspective on time, and what they often neglect is the past because it's a drag, it's ancient history, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, I recommend that assertive types develop uh, what I call a sacred delay, in which they're intentionally and attentionally uh, stopping to reflect on what has happened, which is not something assertive types are prone to do. Mm -hmm. So for dependent types who are very present focused, they tend to be, you know, very present focused to the, you know, the tyranny of the urgent and, uh, supported by the, the past. And I think what they tend to struggle with ones, twos and sixes tend to struggle with the future because there's too much to kind of tend to in the present to really cast their gaze up and look ahead. And uh, so I recommend that those in the dependent stance uh, cultivate a sacred vision that is more expansive and hopeful than maybe what could go wrong or uh, what is wrong, but really a good and hopeful vision for themselves in the future. And for the withdrawn types, uh, fours, fives, and nines, tell me if this resonates, gents. Um, They tend to be past focused. Supported by the future, so they tend to kind of vacillate between the past and future, longing for what was, maybe dreaming for what could be, and struggle to um, be really present to what matters most Mm. right in front of them. And so I uh, recommend that withdrawn types cultivate a sacred presence where they, you know, kind of, again, that wise body, sacred presence to what matters most in the here and now. And I think if these types uh, in their stances, if they cultivate uh, this more kind of misused or distorted or repressed perspective on time, they will live in what I call as more the fullness of time where they're bringing to bear um, all that the past, the present, and the future has to offer, um, which will also help them make more wise decisions.
0: That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. The
2: chapter on wisdom, I have practices for how to do that for each type in each stance, how to cultivate that sacred Delay or vision or presence.
1: Man, I just I love this book because it's it's really you know the first four chapters. It just sounds like you, you really set up an understanding of what discernment looks like and how it's actually possible for all of us. You know, you're giving us really really quality uh, information. And but then I think of you know how Gurdjieff says books are like maps. There is also the necessity for traveling. Hmm. And so the rest of the half of the of, of the book is as practical as hell for how each type can practice and what it looks like uh, for each of us to live a real life of discernment. yeah and I just I think it's it's just one of the most valuable Enneagram books again, in my favorite pile because of how you've structured this thing and and then how you finish it with how do we do this And I think it's really beautiful man. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. So, we're coming up on our time here, and it's um, we can, there's so, 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 so many things that we could talk about and just go page by page through this book um, and talk with you about and expound on. Um, but really, they just need to go buy it and read it. How do they do that, Drew?
2: Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so, the book is available anywhere you buy books online. So the publisher's website is fallscitypress.com. I'm sure we'll have show note links, but if you go there, you can buy at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy books online, you should be able to find it. If not, you can uh, find links on my social media profiles uh, to, where to where you can find the book. Awesome.
0: And other than buying the book, how else can they help you and get the word out?
2: If you buy it directly from the publisher, that tends to cut out the middle person of Amazon or Barnes and Noble who takes the largest cut. But I, you know, I I buy books from Amazon that I can't (laughs) find elsewhere, so I get it. Uh, The other thing that can be really helpful in um, letting people know about the book is if you rate it on Goodreads or review it on Amazon or anywhere that you want to share about how you feel about the book please do so online. That's tremendously helpful. That's like giving an author an elbow bump right now. Yeah,
0: that's really great. (laughs) Awesome. That's super helpful, Drew. I'm not sure there'd be much more of an appropriate outro than for you to read the final section in your book called The Final Blessing. A Final Blessing.
2: May your life be marked with the gift and practice of discernment. May you see your dominant Enneagram type as the trailhead to your inner landscape. And may you have the courage to take one step after another as a pilgrim journeying back to your authentic self. May this pilgrimage include receiving the gift of vocation, the divine call to identity in the Imago Day. May it include invitations to practice your calling with flourishing purpose, fathoming the depths of the path that lies ahead. May you walk the path with loving wisdom through rhythms of wise mind, wise heart, and wise body. May you discern your life in the fullness of Kairos time through the integration of sacred delay, sacred presence, and sacred vision. May it be so for you and for us.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.